the Westlap Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. And Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skos Gauspel. Well, guys, um, as we record this on Thursday night, uh, men's basketball just uh, continues to struggle. Um, and Woof. I believe that's putting it mildly. This is the officially the longest losing streak since the Kevin O'Neill season. It's now nine games. That is the that's as, this is as bad in a row as we've been since the Kevin O'Neill year. For anyone who's curious, though, in a row, in a <laughs> row, yeah. Um, for anyone who's curious, though, um, and maybe hasn't delved into the the sordid history of NU men's hoops the way maybe you have with. It's more more famous sorted history, the football team's history. Um, prior to Carmody, there was really nothing. Um, the Kevin O'Neill years were awful, but so were the tenures of the three or four coaches who predated uh, Kevin O'Neill. It was just just a disaster for years. You really have to go back to the fifties or sixties to find coaches who had sustained runs of success. Um, so. You know, as as we go deep into this this awful stretch we're on right now, and you're wondering where does this rank like all time, this season fits. You know, this stretch as bad as it is fits right in with any period prior to the Carmody period. But just so you know, that's how far back we're going now. Um, it is a bad place to be. And as we don't want to spend any more time uh, going down that Amen. road, let's let's talk softball i mean last week we uh we were talking a little bit about the uh women's softball team uh, getting off to just an awesome start and that's continued they went out to california um for the mary nutter uh, collegiate classic and went four and one uh in that with their one loss being to number five ranked washington um danielle williams is just a beast in the circle uh you know under a one era uh, seven and one, uh, and and when you think the cat the cats are eleven and three, and Danielle Williams is seven and one with a sub one ERA, she is just playing out of her mind, and it's really amazing. And she's a freshman, so I feel like we need to go a little bit deeper on this because we mentioned it last week, but this is going to become a big thing for the next. Three to you know this season and the three seasons after it. Um, this team is really good, and the core of it is really good. And we need to delve a little bit le- deeper. And you guys, listeners, need to know about this. Um, so Daniel Williams, um, her the easiest way to think about it is: imagine if um, Hunter Johnson's brother, who played football for Northwestern had been a multi-year starter for Northwestern, a wide receiver, and had been a, a multi-year contributor as a starter. Um, and then Hunter, top 20 recruit in the country, top top overall rated recruit in the country, had not signed with Clemson. He had directly signed with Northwestern and then been unbelievable as a freshman starter for Northwestern. That's the comparison. Um, Daniel Williams' older sister, Krista, um, was a multi-year starter for Northwestern and a solid member of the team and academic all-conference. And her younger sister was a top 20 player in the country and was so good 
that she was basically hurt her whole senior year and was still ranked top 50th in the country and has just arrived and is immediately one of the best players in the Big Ten. Um, so it's not like this is this team is the little engine that could. She is a monster recruit who's destroying everybody and is going to do it for the next three years. This is going to be a good run for this team. Yeah, we talked last week about in addition to Williams, that the the pitching that Northwestern is getting is a bit deeper maybe than the past couple seasons and is a little bit reminiscent, at least to me, of that College World Series run from, what, six, six or seven years ago, maybe maybe eight years ago? Yeah, a little, little on the longer side, I think, but yeah. So, I mean, it, it speaks volumes. The Cats have not given up more than five runs except in one game against Louisville, which kind of went off the rails. Other than that, they've kept everyone they've played under five runs. Um, Kenna Wilkie is the other starter, I guess, uh, who has not – she's not been nearly as, as dominant as Williams. She was the pitcher in that tough game against Louisville, but still has uh, a 2.26 ERA um, and uh, has, has looked good. Morgan Newport has been phenomenal uh, in, in a primary relief role. And it just like this, it's a really solid uh, pitching battery for the Wildcats. And that's, it seems like that's where it starts in softball. Like all, all the good teams have at least one dominant pitcher. And, and you know, we'll see. Williams uh, Williams has started seven games. Wilkie's only started three. That's, she's obviously going to be the one that we go to as frequently as we can. Um, but, having that depth is, is critical, especially, you know, when you start to get into tournaments with, with double elimination, those sorts of things. Um, but then John, you've been, you've been digging into some of the hitting and again, some of the, the similar to Williams, the freshman phenoms. It's, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Basically one way to look at it is Northwestern, the, the group that's, that are freshmen right now, Northwestern did a really good job recruiting the greater Chicago area. Um, Nikki Cuckran and Maeve Nelson are from, I believe, um, Downers Grove and River Forest, respectively. And they're both playing really well right now. They each have eight RBIs. And again, they're both freshmen. They're both local and they've both played really well right away. But another thing that we gave short shrift to last week, although we definitely mentioned it, is Jordan Rudd, who is going bananas at the plate for us right now, is also a freshman and was also a massive recruit. Um, so she was ranked top 50 in the nation as a senior coming out. Um, she's from Indiana. She has, so through 14 games, she has 17 RBIs and is slugging 578 right now, just hammering the ball. Um, as a junior in high school, she batted 667 with 15 home runs in 30 games. Um, so this is just a way to say that Williams and Rudd were both monster recruits. And it's funny to think about recruiting, comparing softball, right, um, or baseball for that matter, to any of the other big sports. Because on one hand, yeah, like not every college has a softball team the way that a ton of, you know, that every school has a football team. But you know what else? The South and the Pacific Coast get first crack at all the best recruits. 
Um, when recruit when uh, for a team like Northwestern to have two top fifty recruits in the same class, let alone have them playing the way they are right now, is rare to unheard of. And it's just like the power plant of this team. There's a reason they're the number twenty three team in the country. Um, if this is a good team, and you know, Coach Drohan has been around what seventeen, eighteen years. She may be entering into, you know, the best run that this team has had. Well, and the, the recruiting rankings speak to it. So if you go back to, to 2017, um, Northwestern was like number 27 in the rankings uh, in the terms of recruiting class. Um, 2018, number 24 in the recruiting rankings. And then you jump to that 2019 class, and guess who's tied for ninth? Wow. <laughs> It's, so like that, like that just goes to show you what what is is really fueling this team right now. Um, now next year we're we're in the top twenty five. We've got like the number like the number three overall player uh, coming in in the next the next recruiting class. Um, let's see who that is. Oop, whoops, that page does not exist. Thank you, flowsoftball.com. Um, we'll get there. But uh, point being, like the, the recruiting seems to have really ramped up in the last in the last two classes. And yeah, it, I mean, it's it's really evident on the field. And sometimes all it takes is is a couple of dominant players. I mean, getting a top 20 pitcher, that is lightning in a bottle. Well, it's, it's funny. Juxtapose this with basketball. Um, it only, like, Right, where we're thinking, well, you know, non-con's gone pretty well, but eventually we're going to get into that Big Ten meat grinder. Take a look at the top 25 poll on ESPN's top 25 softball poll and count the amount of teams on that poll or even in the also receiving votes category that are not either in a warm weather state or on the West Coast. When this team gets into Big Ten play, they are going to be throwing haymakers. It's not like basketball. This will be one of the top handful of teams in the conference. Um, the damage that this team is doing out west right now, and they're about to go out west again, um, is is going to carry over to the Big Ten. Um, and not just for this year, for multiple years. Yeah, and you know, you you mentioned that that trip out west. Um, you know, you got the the Stanford tournament starting tomorrow as we record this on the on the twenty eighth. They got uh, two games tomorrow against uh, Cal Poly and then the host Stanford. Uh, two games on Saturday, Cal Poly again, and then North Dakota State, and then Sunday you've got a morning game against Montana. I would imagine they're going to be hopping a plane back uh, that afternoon slash evening. So. Um, that's an 11 a.m. first pitch, you know, central time. So 9 a.m. 9 a.m. start out there in Stanford. Uh, so I, I would imagine they'll be uh, catching a flight home that day. So five games in three days and then uh, coming back before another uh, five, what, five games in Oklahoma uh, tournament there with Drake, Oklahoma, Tulsa, and Grand Canyon. Um, yeah, that, that's coming up next week. So, you know, still a little bit uh, to go before we started getting into Big Ten play. Um, you know that we'll start seeing that you know closer to the end of March uh, as we you know finally come home for our home opener against Rutgers on March twenty second. So you know, a little bit away because you know you look outside here in Chicago, it is brutally cold, and I would not want to either a be playing softball or baseball outside right now or B 
be outside watching, which is always even colder. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you t- we've, we've talked about in the past just the, the, the inherent disadvantage uh, teams in the North have you know, in softball and baseball and how early those seasons start in the you know, college academic calendar. Uh, just the way the way that all falls, and just you know the both softball and baseball are just road warriors, you know in a in a big big way. It, it's halfway kind of through the season. It's kind of ridiculous to think what Danielle Williams's pitching record is going to be at the time she steps on the field for Northwestern at home for the first time. Um, it's that's pretty bizarre. Like how many wins she'll already have under her belt. The first time she actually puts her feet on the mound at Northwestern is is ridiculous. So yeah, softball playing great. Uh, Lacrosse has another big game coming up. Um, They're at North Carolina uh, over the weekend. uh, Number three, North Carolina, I might add. Uh, So you know the early tough string of lacrosse just continues to go and Kelly Monte Hiller's ladies have been playing great so far. We talked about them a lot last week and uh, yeah, just let's see if they can keep it going strong. Another spring sport that we should probably talk about and you know, spring sport, bit of a <laughs> misnomer, but uh, spring football practice is underway. And you know, th- there was definitely some news that kind of came out um, as spring practice got started this past week. Um, and we should probably start off with the uh, retirement of Cam Green. Um, you know, not necessarily for his own concussions, but concussions and head injuries have run in the family. Um, you know, I, I can't think of any concussions that we've heard reported, but you know how, you know, forthcoming the football program is with disclosing injuries. Um, but yeah, with uh, with Cam Green uh, taking a seat, you know, hanging him up. Um, you've also got Trey Pugh, who's missing uh, spring practice. So the the super back room is looking really, really thin uh, to the point that they've started making a few changes, um, moving Trent Goins from defensive end to super back, at least on, on a interim basis just to kind of see how it goes here in the spring of you know before we you know get too Evan far into Watkins it, where have you gone yeah right <laughs> um let's talk talk about Cam Green and you know what impact that's going to have uh moving losing him moving forward well you know for everyone who read our recruiting piece I think to me, this is all about Cam Green. It's it's. I'm not worried about the superback position. Um, yeah, Bob Hefner is one of the best coaches at that position in the country. Um, and I mean, well, he's the if, only superback coach in the country, right? But if you extend it to tight ends, <laughs> he is right. I mean, he's it's he is super. Um, it's he the the level of coaching that he's provided the stars that he's minted at that position including cam green i mean i'm kind of excited this trent goins experiment just to see what hefner can impart upon goins in the spring um um and i think we expect pew to be back pew is a monster recruit we have charlie mangieri behind him um i'm not worried about that position although i am kind of i guess a little giddy one that we have um 
so much depth at defensive line that we can just bring over a guy of the quality of Gones, unless we forget Garrett Dickerson was a defensive end convert as well. Um, with all that said, I think the most important thing to talk about is just Green, who we all love. Um, he's a local kid, again, because this is probably the last time we'll get to say it, best player on the best team in the state of Illinois as a senior Um Son of an NFL football player, which again, you know, they weren't specific in his retirement, but that might have played in a little bit. Um, as an aside, um, my wife taught teaches at Stevenson. Um, we had the opportunity to speak with Cam Green a little bit before he ever signed with Northwestern, and he was just a great kid, perfect wildcat, a guy who you knew was just going to represent the program so well. And then he came and he did. He was just a, a great representative of the team on the field, off the field, um, developed into a big contributor, switched positions, bulked up to play super back. It worked out really well for him. Um, and, you know, we're sad that it has to be cut one year short. Yeah, it's 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 a real bummer. I'm I mean, at the same time, like he had a, he's he's had a great career for Northwestern. Um, he ends on a high note. Uh, you know, the rationale and the reasons behind it seem obviously, you know, you, the, you, like you said, John, they, they haven't said a lot. Teddy Greenstein was, was pretty, um, pretty clearly linked this to, to, uh, experiences that his dad has had. Uh, his dad played with the bears for a couple of years, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, from a, Obviously, first and foremost, like we wish him all the best and are super thankful for what he did for the program. And um, guy was a heck of a lot of fun to watch, you know, these last couple of years. And um, it'll be interesting to see. And we don't have any, you know, so we, we really don't have a pass catching super back on the team next year. So that that's just going to be interesting how that plays out. You know, I, I know we had a couple of. Uh, of recruits in the class. And like you said, John, that's been a position that we've done very well with. I'm not like you, I'm not concerned about it going forward, but I think it might look pretty different next year for Hunter Johnson in that. And maybe that's the one, I guess, silver lining of timing is that if this were, if this were this past season and Clayton Thorson is coming in without his, you know, the guy that he's been using as, as, as his safety valve and his, um, and his reliable check down, uh, in his tight end, maybe maybe it's a little more worrisome i mean hunter johnson's got plenty of time to develop chemistry with the, with the new guys this isn't you know him losing his safety blanket that's a very i don't know class half full way to look at it but i so i'm going to i'm going to take issue with this a little bit um but i see why you why you've ended up in this line of thinking it's basically a testament to cam green um basically what i'm trying to say is Trey Pugh is going to be awesome um, I firmly expect he was a mega recruit. Um, and the only reason he hasn't played more is because Cam Green's great. And Cam Green was our number one guy. And I think the reason that Green got more minutes early on was um, Garrett Dickerson, you know, was banged up, um, you know, and was kind of on the field, off the field. And Green was spelling him and then Green transitioned to the, to the full-time role. Um, but... I mean, we talked about this in the extensive recruiting piece. Yeah, Trey Pugh caught three passes this year, but 
I'm going to dance with Bob Hefner until, you know, until they tell me to leave the dance hall because he has yet in, in an unbroken string of years to not produce a big time factor super back, right? Um, we can draw a straight line right back through Cam Green, Garrett Dickerson, Dan Vitale. Um, it's been probably seven, eight years since we haven't had a guy who was like a big factor, but you're right. I mean, you've got a brand new quarterback coming in and then you've got, he will not have a super back who's caught more than three passes. Um, I think, you know, thinking about Trey clock catching a pass, I'm kind of waiting to see, um, if clock was a transfer from Georgia tech, but I'm waiting to see, you know, will there be a reserve offensive lineman who's formerly moved over to the super back position for those jumbo packages? Cause I don't think we've, I don't see that guy on the roster yet. And I'm kind of wondering to see if, if that's going to formally be done. But in any case, um, Cam, you know, we wish him the best. I mean, this is his fourth year. I'm sure he's going to, he's getting his degree, has gotten his degree. And, um, yeah, we wish all the, all the best for him, but you talk to this guy for two seconds. He's got his Northwestern degree. He's going to be successful in whatever profession he chooses. Um, and we thank him for his service. Um, other, you know, as we talk about Gones moving from DN to Superback, um, also has been reported that Rashawn Slater is moving from right tackle to left tackle, which I think is is fantastic. Um, you know, he he was dominating on the right side, and I think he's going to be great on the left as well. We'll be really interested to see how that plays out, um, and then wonder what could have been if he had been <laughs> I was, there. I was biting my tongue, Scuzz. I, I, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about the coaching changeover at the O-line. Um, you know, Slater was only a sophomore this past year. He, he had, he was a standout as a freshman, but man, left tackle was a real, was a real tough spot. Now I think, I think the, the glamor around the left tackle position in football at any level is not quite what it once was. Um, the, the nature of mobile quarterbacking RPOs, um, read option, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, has, I think, I think there's less difference between a good right tackle and a good left tackle because like defenses are going to move their best pass rushers around to get matchups there is something to be said for attacking a quarterback from his blind side. But again, like the nature of schemes, the nature of the way a lot of college schemes, the quarterback's only responsible for looking at a half of the field. Like they're rolling out in that direction. They're, they're neutralizing that, that spot sometimes a little bit anyway. So I do, it's a good joke and it's good for a laugh line. Um, and there's probably like, I, and I'm, confident that Slater would have played better than Hans at left tackle last year. I don't know that that would have dramatically decreased the number of sacks because I think they would have just started coming from the other side. Um, but you know, maybe not. We'll see. Well, it's a good, it's a good pivot certainly to what is the most interesting thing of this spring practice. Um, and for anyone who's a serious Northwestern fan, this is Kurt Anderson's first time to go to work. This is where he starts working with these guys and we hope starts making a real difference. Um, Fitz has been right singing the praises of Nick Urban, who really in the next man up setup, really Nick Urban's name is probably he's the single guy right after um, 
after Jared Thomas and Rashawn Slater, Urban is the guy we most expect to... He, he probably is the de facto number three guy. And he's a guy who, as the de facto number three guy, was certainly a guy who, again, I think we're all kind of wondering, well... It, you know, where is he? Because he wasn't good enough to break in and become a full-time starter last year. So, you know, where does that leave us? But again, this is an opportunity for a guy, for Kurt Anderson to really go to work with a guy like Urban and really make an impact. Uh, Payne Abair is another guy whose, you know, name is being thrown out, who's younger. And Anderson's got a real chance for guys like that. Um, Gunnar Vogel is a guy who, you know, was briefly in the mix as a freshman and then kind of like lost his seat, so to speak. And, you know, he's going to be working back into the rotation too. Um, so it's not just who's starting or who, you know, how the depth chart looks at the start of spring. Like this is Anderson is really got a chance to earn his money here. And we're going to find out, you know, as spring progresses, as we get into the summer, just what kind of impact that is. So here's another really interesting thing. Um, and this ties back into the superbacks. So Trey Pugh. Uh, Brian Frazier and this year's uh, Superback signee um, Thomas Gordon. All three of those guys were recruited by Arkansas, and specifically uh, Kaiser was recruited by Frank by uh, by Kurt Anderson. And the and 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 I, and I uh, Brian Linney I think is the is the name of the tight ends coach at Arkansas, but. Um, I mean, this is, you know, this is like a, a deep internet <laughs> conspiracy level type uh, connection here, but we've, you know, the classic move is, is recruit tight ends with a good frame and good feet and, oh, wow, I can bolt this guy up and turn him into a fantastic tackle. We saw Trey Essex. Make oh, I like, in the NFL I like what that, you're right? doing here. I like what you're doing. This is so interesting. It, it is, it is interesting. Now, um, Pew, obviously, t- you know, and Thomas Gordon, I think both have some some maybe more maybe offensive potential to, to, to keep it at tight end um unproven as pass catchers at this level certainly but I don't know we'll see I you know there's just some interesting connectivity there between guys that Kurt Anderson speci- like his name is specifically listed against mm-hmm. Brian Kaiser in the rivals database as having re- recruited him and offered him at Arkansas so um just just interesting food for thought that for us to sock away as uh, as we see how this plays out and, and starts to develop because I again I do I do think that our superbacks are going to lean more in the in the run game than the pass game early on uh, this next season. Well, it's because you talk about consistency and you know that that's something that we're actually going to see for the first time in a while. Uh, you know, as this spring. You know, we, we've seen a list of, of guys who are missing spring or missing part of spring uh, due to injuries and and, reco- and recovery and rehab and whatnot. But for the first time, there is not much in the way of offensive linemen on that list of injured players. So we're actually going to be able to have some consistency with the O-line, really start to build that uh, camaraderie, build, that fi- build those five guys together now as opposed to trying to piecemeal stuff together and then see what happens, you know, come late summer. So I, I, th- I think that's going to be really, really huge. That's a, that's a good point. It's a great point. And I think it's funny, you know, I, I hope all of, 
our listeners respect the fact that we've barely mentioned Hunter Johnson's name up to this point. Um, <laughs> because I know that's what all the storylines are going to be. Like, oh, this is the first chance. Hunter Johnson, he's doing the... Well, yeah, we're expecting Hunter Johnson to be great. Um, if he's, it, We're going to be monitoring him just as much as you are. The offensive line is where all of the questions are. It's the most important place by far. Um, it's where there's the most work to be done. It's where really every everything for next season is, is ultimately going to come down to this area. So we are going to be gluing our eyes to the offensive line all through the spring and then into the summer as well. But um, we're going to be tracking everything, but it all starts there. What, what's interesting, is, and I don't know if it's interesting, but it, it makes sense that you know, Fitz has not just handed the keys to Hunter Johnson. You know, this spring they're, you know, they're, he's calling it an open competition, which great. That, that, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> it, you know, we all know who's going to be under center or, you know, behind center, uh, in Stanford, uh, the last weekend in August. It, it's going to be Hunter Johnson, but, you know, it, I, I kind of like that he's not just, you know, here you go, kid, but that they're at least putting out there this vision of uh, a quarterback competition. I, I think in, in spring, it's, it's a bit of a misnomer as well because you're you're not getting you know much in the way of you know there's like ha- only half of the fifteen uh, practices you can have contact only three of those practices can you have anything in, in like scrimmage settings so it you're just you're just running drills you know primarily at least for the on the field stuff so you know does it matter if you know, Johnson is not getting every single snap with the ones because I feel like there's enough fluidity going on with everyone that, you know, you're, we're not setting a depth chart now. You know, we're not going to see a depth chart until the end of August. And when that comes, Hunter Johnson is going to be the number one name on that on that list. We did or I did make fun of a number of other coaches who uh, who didn't use an or on their depth chart at the beginning of last season and had quarterbacks transfer away only to have like the guy that they kept get hurt or something um or suck uh there were there were at least three or four i think minnesota and illinois uh come to mind there were a couple other schools maybe nebraska we had a we had a yeah oh yeah nebraska we had a should have used an or um meme going for a little while that uh was was kind of entertaining so i like i have no problem with this and it's also totally not a surprise the way Fitz operates. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Hunter Johnson gets every single snap with the ones and they still call it an open competition. Uh, Cause that's just kind of how Fitz rolls. But um, I don't know. It, I don't, and it, it would probably in all seriousness um, and certainly they've seen him in practice this past year, but he has not played a game for Northwestern and you can't, effectively run a program and lead all these players and just guarantee the guy who parachuted in a spot, right? They, you can't do that. So, um, it will be interesting to see how it plays out. It'll be interesting to see how, you know, um, what is it? Andrew Marty and, um, Aiden Smith, Jason Whitaker. Yeah. Uh, how they all play and you know, the number two jobs up for grabs probably as well. So we've, you know, I can't remember a season where we haven't had a, a second quarterback have to come in and play at some point. So, um, I, you know what I you know you know what I want to want to add though is on on the flip side and not the flip side really. Um, 
but there, you know, despite everything we're saying and despite the or and despite the way that it's being worded, I mean, we all know it's Hunter Johnson's job, right? But the transfer portal is still empty. Knock wood. None of these guys have entered. None of these guys are transferring out. I mean, they know the writing's on the wall. And it must it must be said that that's a testament to the program itself. Um, and Matt Alvidi, of course, is the banner carrier for this, right? Um, stayed all four years, um, was not a starter, um, and, you know, got his chance late. But he, I'm sure he entertained the idea of transferring out. Um, but he didn't. And that speaks to the place, right? Um, Aiden Smith was a guy who, you know, you're talking about a National 7 champ on the same team as Ben Skoranek. And now he's looking at a situation where there potentially might not be a starting role for him. And again, I'm not putting the cart before the horse. And if these guys, if any of them end up do deciding to transfer, I'm not going to hold it against them because that's the reality of, of the position and the situation. But as of right now, none of them have. And that speaks to the program and it speaks to the culture. And I know it's easy to throw around platitudes like that, but the writing is on the wall. Like these guys like where they are. They want to be a part of this program and we should all feel good about that. Plus, you know, having that Northwestern degree is huge. A- when, amen. When you, you consider that, you know, how many, are, how many are going to the NFL? Not many. And, you know, knowing what, Northwestern does as far as you know helping out with career outside of football you know that that career development and mentorship program you know that is in 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 effect for Northwestern is just tremendous well and when Hunter Johnson we said it earlier when it came time for him to transfer he knew how the school treated his brother um and that stuff matters and that's why I mean Northwestern's loaded with siblings you know guys who followed their siblings Garrett Dickerson being one of many so this is this is really random but um from our earlier discussion I have uh I've had Rashawn Slater's rivals page sitting up here in front of me um and his highlights have been rolling um and I've been watching him pancake the crap out of other high school Texas football players for the last three minutes as we as this discussion has progressed and when I look at his offer list, it was us, Illinois, Kansas, Rice, and Wyoming. It was weird, and that's a guy Good gravy. He started as a freshman, and that's and he and that's a guy whose dad played for the Toronto Raptors for many years. It's by, by it's, the way, he was a disruptive defensive tackle in high school too. It's and, it, and in Sugarland, Texas, like this is. This is prime football country. I don't. I don't. I don't know. It is. It is weird how these things work. Yeah, goofy. Um, I guess you know we're pretty much going to wrap it up there. Um, dude, what? Just want to mention one thing. You know, with the transfer portal, very interesting to see Alex Hornibrook uh, leaving Wisconsin. Um, wonder. Not quite sure what's going on there. You know, he had a, an amazing run and. You know, if if he was retiring uh, due to you know head injuries or whatnot, absolutely, I, I get that. You know, and you know if he doesn't want to subject his body to that kind of punishment anymore, totally understand that. But you know, he, he's transferring, so something something's going on up there in uh, up there in Madison. I thought his career was over. I really did. 
after the way last year progressed, he couldn't recover from that from that concussion, and they probably played him when they shouldn't have. Um, man, I thought you think that might have been it. Pure pure speculation, but you know you you say that, and I don't think that's why he's transferred. I I think, I mean, if I'm Wisconsin, the way last season played out, I'm like, yeah, dude, like I think we think you're done. I think they're probably looking at Jack Cohn. They got some other some other freshman who's really highly regarded. I think they're looking at that and saying, yeah, you know what, like let's let's move on. It'll be interesting to see, I think, you know, for the missing piece of this to where where he ends up, right? Um, I think of a Northwestern parallel, right? Ian Park was guy who we wouldn't clear him to play injury-wise, right? Um, and he ended up going to Slippery Rock um, at D, at having a dominant season at the D2 level and then, you know, having a cup of coffee in Philadelphia Eagles camp. But it... You know, in hindsight, seeing the way that he performed, it kind of wondered, and it was like, well, was there a certain situation where certain schools just weren't going to clear him to play, including Northwestern? And again, I don't know exactly what's going on with Hornybrook, but part of me does wonder if, you know, if the medicals at, at Wisconsin are like, sorry, like, we're, we're not giving you a clean bill of health here. And he's saying, well, I'm going to, you know, then I'm going to put up my services to who's available. But you're right. I mean, I there is also a part that... With Cone, et cetera, Wisconsin may just be turning the page here. Anything else to mention before we get out of here tonight? One thing I did want to mention quickly, um, just the it's still up, but for any, any of you who haven't had a chance to check it out on the website yet, <clears throat> take a look at our big recruiting retrospective. I think the last time we potted, um, I was planning on putting it up, but it hadn't officially gone up yet. It's up on the website now. It's a great look at all the four-star guys. First of all, rewind to the big piece we did the year before, talking about um, positive indicators, things that, you know, attributes that a four-star recruit has who Northwestern has offered that make it much more likely he may sign with the Cats. Um, A look back at guys we had targeted last year in the 2019 class and what ultimately happened with those guys. And then a big, important look forward to this potentially seismic 2020 recruiting class, which is loaded with guys who would have really good reasons for choosing Northwestern. It's funny, just today I saw that Northwestern put out an offer to a defensive end, Sean McLaughlin, in the 2020 class from Lincoln Way East. Well, one way you could look at that is that's the most high-profile defensive lineman um, from Lincoln Way East that Northwestern has targeted since Devin O'Rourke, who is currently a Northwestern defensive lineman. Another way to look at it is Sean McLaughlin is a fellow 2020 class member and teammate of A.J. Henning, the number one with a bullet target for Northwestern in the class of 2020, um, who would be an absolutely phenomenal get um, in the Rondell Moore vein, were we to land him, and we have a real chance of doing it. So, um, again, for anyone who hasn't checked out the piece yet, take a look at it. Um, there's a lot there um, that, especially, you, what are you going to do? Watch Northwestern hoops? Come on, you need to turn the page to football just like we do, and <laughs> check check this piece out and start thinking forward. Hey, so, yes to all of that, um, but hey, now, like. I not women's, women's, I, yes. women's hoops has a men's, huge yes. game on Sunday against Men. like at Iowa. Iowa's number seven in the RPI. I think they're tops in the conference or or at least in the top two. Um, 
this would be this would be a, a massive and unexpected upset. Um, but Northwestern is playing pretty well right now after after hammering Indiana uh, earlier in the week. Should they win that, they're, they're still not going to be in, in NCAA range yet. Uh, the Big Ten is only getting six teams in. Um, I'll note the sixth of those teams is Indiana, that Northwestern just kind of kicked the, kicked the uh, pants off. But um, they're, they're pretty far down the pecking order. Uh, a win at Iowa and then one win in the Big Ten tournament, maybe two wins in the Big Ten tournament. Maybe they get a little help in a couple spots. Um, they could be a legitimate bubble team. They're probably playing for the NIT right now, but... There's um, there's some real stuff going on there, and as we've talked in in the past, with the exception of their center, it's a pretty young team that um, should be poised for uh, for a really strong year next year as well. Yeah, so with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week. Uh, head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. You can find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, at Westlot Pirates. You can call our voicemail line, 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. And email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the Westlot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasboy, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.